Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online today as a part of our, our church and congregation. Always glad to have you with us. And apparently, I have an abnormally large head. So that's nice. Uh, but, you know, our creative team people, during the snowstorms, they just kind of get bored. And so every once in a while, we've got to let them, uh, yeah, whatever. By the way, let's just set the record straight. Blaine won that thing. I mean, didn't they? Yeah, come on. I don't know what they were watching, but I was watching back there. And nothing against Anoka, whoever else was, you know, I mean, but Blaine, Blaine, I mean, come on. Anyway. <laughs> we are in a series called Come and See. Because in the Gospel of John, people were continually invited to come and see who Jesus was and how he could change their life. But the invitation to come and see wasn't just for those people 2,000 years ago. It's for us. We are invited to come and see and ask Jesus to actually affect our lives, whether this is your first encounter with Jesus or with church or God and that kind of thing, or if it's your 1,000th time. My prayer is that Jesus will change us in some way today, that he'll speak to every one of us, that he'll fill us with his love and maybe even heal a wound that's been inflicted on our soul. We're not here just to learn about Jesus, but actually to be changed by him, to be loved and healed and forgiven. The same Jesus, I'm telling you, the same Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead can heal us and raise us. He's here by his spirit, but it's easy to miss him. It's easy to get distracted by the things in our lives and miss him. When our son David was eight years old, he played soccer with a teammate named Tim, and Tim had a younger sister named Hannah who was seven years old and was born with Down syndrome. Eventually, we got to know Hannah and her family along with the other families, but at first, I kind of felt sorry for her parents and for Tim, who was at times embarrassed by Hannah's interruptions. Sometimes she would wander onto the field during play, and her parents had to kind of reel her back in. She would walk up to complete strangers and engage them in, in awkward conversation. But the more I got to know her, the more I began to enjoy Hannah always wanting to be a part of the action. She once wedged her way into the huddle as the boys were getting ready to take the field. And her older brother, Tim, kind of nudged her away and said, Hannah, this is a boys' team. To which she boldly said, I am a boy. <laughs> Just want to play. Another time, she was pacing along the sidelines, and one of, our, one of the parents uh, admired her little outfit and said, Hannah, are you a cheerleader? She said, I'm the coach. I mean, cheerleader, schmear leader, I'm coaching this whole deal. But then something happened one day that won me over forever. It was the first time I'd seen Hannah in quite a long time. She'd actually joined her own soccer team, and she was wearing her own soccer uniform, but she had completed their game at another part of the field. She was now walking and pacing the sidelines at our game, only this time it was completely different. She started way down on the other end, with our spectators, and whether she knew you or not, she walked right up to you, got about a foot away from your face, and said, guess what? I won. And she said it with such joy 
that you had to respond, especially when she threw her arms around your neck and hugged you cheek to cheek. (laughs) Didn't matter who it was, men, women, and kids got a guess what? I won, and this bear hug that you couldn't escape. I was at the end of this procession with my daughter, and Megan is not much of a hugger, and she was sitting in a low, kind of low-level lawn chair, and so I knew that my daughter was just dying inside, waiting for her turn. Hannah finally made her way way over to Meg, and Meg looked up at me, hoping that I'd bail her out. There's no way I was going to bail her out. Hannah got about eight, eight inches from her face and shouted, guess what? I won, and threw her arms around my daughter's neck. Big smile beamed across Meg's face as she hugged Hannah back. And then I couldn't believe it. Nobody could. Nobody has ever done what Hannah was about to do in the history of sports. She was headed for the enemy fans (laughs) who were on the same sidelines as us, and they were sitting over there smugly, and we all watched as Hannah snuck up on her first victim. She was a very proper-looking lady sitting in a lawn chair, and she never saw it coming, probably from North Oaks or Afton. You know the type. (laughs) A complete stranger. And Hannah boldly walked up to her, stepped right into her personal space, and said, guess what? And the lady kind of recoiled backwards and said, what? Hannah said, I won. And she threw her arms around this lady. What could the lady do? But just wrap her arms around Hannah and said, that's, that's wonderful. One by one, men, women, and children, didn't matter. Hannah stepped right up, gave them a hug. And I'm telling you, that sent an electric charge through about 50 people of laughter and joy. And as I watched this, I thought, why does it take a little girl with Down syndrome to do what everybody wants to do but is afraid to do? We all want more love and laughter, don't we? We all want more joy. And then I thought, what happened with Hannah that day is what happens when people (laughs) meet Jesus. They get knocked off their chairs by God's love. When people meet Jesus, they feel like the missing part in their life has been found. They begin to feel whole inside. Uh, they see things in the Bible they've never seen before. They, they feel strangely secure when everything around them is chaotic and uncertain. And so today, today we look at a man in the Bible who was blind since birth, and when he met Jesus, it changed him forever. His main, bl- his main problem was blindness, but often, honestly, that's my main problem too. I can see okay, but sometimes I don't see what God wants me to see or how God wants to change me, or what he wants me to say or do through me. You know, oftentimes I fail to miss all the miracles that are around me every single day, like fresh blueberries in my yogurt this morning is, to me it's a miracle. But I get to sit there and enjoy that, or to encounter the smile on some of my friends that I came to church this morning, or to hear the squeals of delight every time my granddaughters see their bubba on FaceTime. That's the name they gave me, by the way. Not the kids, the parents. Bubba. We're going to call him Bubba. All right, so that's fine. 
But every time on Facebook, they squeal, Bubba. It's like, oh, man. And I'm telling you, sometimes I miss it. I get caught up in my own self. I sometimes don't see the person who's right in front of me, but I want to change. I want to meet Jesus today. I want him to inspire me, challenge me, frankly, make me a little more like Hannah in expressing joy and kindness more freely. So we pick this story up in John 9.1. It says, as Jesus went along, as Jesus was just going along, he met a man blind from birth. I love that it says, as Jesus went along. I'm telling you, yours and my best moments in life are not gonna be at some big event two years from now. Your best moments and mine, God moments, happen as you go along in life, day by day, in the hallway at school, that's where God will show up, at the office, on the sidelines of the soccer field, in the checkout line today in the store. That's where God often shows up. I was out of town a couple weeks ago, and so I found a gym. I always do that on vacation. And, and while I was on the elliptical machine, a guy showed up and just pounded the punching bag. And it caught my attention. I was over there on the elliptical in my little spandex short, you know, watching TV. And this guy was just hammering the punching bag. And I watched him with admiration. And I just want to show you, I took a little video of him, 30 seconds, just... just with his permission, but go ahead and watch. Do I ring the bell faster? Ding! What happens when you get hit? You get hit, you keep going. What happens when you get hit in life? Yeah. You keep going. Love this guy. 55 years old. He's a Messianic Jew. I don't know why I told you that. That just means that he's, uh, he's Jewish, but he's, he's born again. He's a Christian. Yeah, whatever. He, but anyway, this, this led to a 45-minute conversation and exchange, and he was able to inspire and encourage me, and I was able to inspire and encourage him, especially about his his dad, who's struggling with Alzheimer's, he's got an older daughter, and, and Scott and I just had this great 45-minute exchange. No big deal. But I want to get better at doing that, at noticing people just as I walk along. And that's what Jesus did. He sees this guy. The disciples also see this guy, and they say, hey, Jesus, was this guy born blind because of his sins? Or his parents' sins. They just see the guy as a conversation piece. The disciples. You know, as an object of conversation and, and kind of an oddity. And this is so common, by the way. So often, people don't actually want to encounter God or know God. They just want to talk about him. Have a theological discussion about, you know, whose sins caused his blindness. And this can happen in our small groups, by the way, in our Bible studies. Just talk about God. And that's good. We should. 
But at some point, you have to move from just talking about Jesus and getting to know him personally, trusting him, building a relationship with him. So the disciples say, was this man born blind because of his sin or his parents? And Jesus said, look, it's not because of somebody's sin. Oftentimes people think, you know, I'm in trouble because somebody said, sometimes that's the case, but not here. But so that the work of God might be displayed in, in his life. Jesus made it clear that the guy's blindness wasn't due to somebody's sin. And he wastes no time debating it. He doesn't want to debate it. He just wants to heal the guy. In fact, the very next statement Jesus makes to his disciples is all of us must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by God. Just don't talk about it. Because there's little time left, Jesus says, before the night falls and all work comes to an end. Easy just to talk about things. The spiritual issues in life. But will we do something? She says, look, the time to act is now. The time to help people meet Jesus and be healed is now. And the window is closing fast. You know, if someone you know is struggling spiritually or struggling in their relationships or they're just plain apathetic about God and church, I mean, what decade are we waiting for to pray for them? Or be kind to them or invite them to church or send them a link to one of our services and I'm the same way, by the way. I get so complacent. Oh, I have time, you know, to engage this person with conversation. Or I've invited that person two other times. I'm not going to do it a third time. Maybe, maybe the third time is when you'll say yes. And I just kind of, well, there's plenty of time. Plus, people are messy, aren't they? And time-consuming. So why bother? I mean, John Ortberg says it this way. I love it. He says, relationships are not efficient. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, if you start a conversation about God with a classmate or coworker, you just added a layer of complexity to your life because now you got to be nice to him or you got to take him to lunch. Who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. But now you're kind of enmeshed in their life on a different level than just work or going to school. Relationships are not efficient. Your neighbor or coworker is not efficient. Annoying, time consuming, but not efficient. Your spouse, if you're married, is not efficient. Right? They take time. And you got to wait, and you got to put up with stuff. They're not efficient. Don't get married if you want efficiency. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just rocks your world. Teenagers are not efficient. Demanding. Expensive. Not efficient. But they're people. Teenagers are kind of pre-people, but they're people. So what if you got off the elliptical and just asked them about their life? Show them you care. Take a shot. Jesus said, look, time's running out. Today's the day. So he walks up to this guy. He's been blind all his life. Think of this, 30, 40 years. 
never saw a sunrise. Did you see the sunrise in Minnesota yesterday? Unbelievable. Never saw a sunrise. Never saw turquoise blue water. This fascinates me. Never saw a hummingbird in flight. I have a thing with hummingbirds. I just think they're the most fascinating. But for this guy, just darkness every moment of every day until this day. This day, he's going to meet Jesus, hear his voice, feel his touch. He's going to be changed by his power. Verse 6, kind of strange. Jesus spit on the crown, made mud with the saliva, and smoothed the mud over the man's eyes. He said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. Now we read that. But we have to pause and we have to ask this question. If this really happened, could Jesus actually heal me? Could Jesus do a miracle for me? And the answer is absolutely yes. So why doesn't it happen sometimes? Well, there's something in this verse that is so critical, so important for our own healing or miracle. So Jesus smears mud on the guy's eyes, told him to go wash. But think about it. Why the mud? Why tell him to go wash? Jesus had the power to heal him right there in that moment without all the mud and saliva and, you know, that, and then going, going to wash. So why the mud? Here's the key. So the man went and he washed. Jesus was looking for obedience. Jesus was looking for, will you actually take a step of faith? I will heal you, but will you go and do what I've asked you to do? Because, gang, here's the truth. Jesus will heal. But there's an action. There's an obedient action to take, and so many people miss this. I miss it sometimes. God's power is available to every single one of us, but not all of us have God's power. God's forgiveness is available to every one of us, but not all of us have God's forgiveness. God's provision is offered to every one of us, but not all of us get God's provision. Why? Because God will heal, but there's an action to take. God will forgive but there's an action to take. God will provide and open up new opportunities to you, but there is an action to take. So I have two questions for every one of us here, including myself. Where do you need a miracle today? And what obedient action might you need to take? I think most everybody has something they would like God to do in their life or God to change. We hope for it. We wish for it. Sometimes we even pray for it. But will we obey? Some of you are in a difficult marriage, and it's the worst. It tears at you every single day. If you could just be healed. Or you're struggling with a child or coworker. Or some of you have chronic pain. If you could just be healed of that. Some of you are grieving over a loss and your heart is broken. 
Some of you are living with someone you're not married to and you wonder why this is so contentious and so lonely. Jesus said, look, go and wash. So the man went and washed and he came back seeing. I'm telling you, Jesus still heals today. Jesus still forgives, restores, and provides today, but there's always an action to take. So where do you need a miracle? And what obedient action will you take? Maybe for some of you, it's to go and apologize, and that's where God's miraculous power is gonna show up. Maybe it's to go get help, finally. Swallow down pride and go see a counselor. Maybe it's to pray, not just one day, but every single day, several times a day is what I do, what I have to do. Maybe it's to read your Bible, not just once, not just once a week or one time, once in a while, but every single day I need to do this for my own soul. Maybe it's to apply for a job. You actually have to do that if you want to work. <laughs> you know, maybe that's where God is waiting for you to show up, for him to show up. Maybe it's to move out of a situation you know is wrong and God can't bless. And God wants to do a miracle in your life. Maybe it's to get sober finally. The man went. He obeyed. And he came back seeing, does that mean God will immediately do this? Do what we want. Well, sometimes he does. Sometimes it's immediate, happens right away. But often God wants to, here's so, so important. Oftentimes God wants to grow something deeper in you through a process of obeying and waiting and living every day by faith. If it just happened, you know, boom, you know, where's the living every day by faith, the obeying, the trusting, the waiting, the praying? Sometimes God will delay something in your life and mine because he wants us to grow deeper in our prayer, in our trust, in our wisdom or empathy for others. She said, look, this, this man's blindness wasn't because of sin so that God's power could be revealed. And 30, 40 years later, he met Jesus, and the purpose of his blindness became known after 30, 40 years so that God's power could be revealed and that even you and I could talk about it and see this story. You might not know why something has happened to you or been withheld from you for 10, 20, 30 years, but then Jesus does a miracle and the purpose of your pain is now revealed. Sometimes God wants to grow something deeper in us through a process of waiting and trusting and leaning on him. Quickly, I see three changes in this man's life that came from meeting Jesus. The first change is boldness. He became bold. And if you read the story in John 9, you'll see that the Pharisees were all upset that he was healed on the Sabbath, and they didn't like that Jesus did that, and Jesus must be a sinner because he healed this guy on the Sabbath, and he was, they were working this blind man over. Who healed you? How'd they do it? And I love, I love what he says. He says, look, I don't know much about this Jesus, but this I know. Once I was blind, now I see. You tell me what happened, is basically what he's saying to these religious leaders. I mean, who can argue with that? I just want to say, those of you who are Christians, you know, when people inquire about your faith, 
You don't need to recite a bunch of Bible verses. You don't need to argue and defend the story of creation. All you need to do is say, look, I don't know much, but this much I know. Once I was blind, now I see. Once I was filled with fear, now I have peace. Once I was bitter, now I have joy. Once I was an alcoholic, but God took that away. Once I was a moral mess, but God changed my life. Once I was an egotistical jerk, but now I'm not so much. <laughs> it's a process. Doesn't happen overnight, right? Just tell your story. 1 Peter 3, be ready at all times, those of you who are believers, to answer anybody who asks you to explain the hope that you have. So boldness is a sure sign that you've met Jesus. Second sign is belief. Guy was healed first. And then he believed, which means Jesus can heal an unbeliever. Interesting. But again, the Pharisees were working this guy over. They threw him out of the synagogue because he was Jewish too. And Jesus went and found him. Second time, I love this. He says, look, I healed you, but do you believe in the Son of God? Key word. You find this all throughout John. Believe, not work, not prove yourself. The man said, yes, Lord, I do believe. And then I love this, it says he he worshiped him. Simple response, yes, Lord, I believe. No fireworks, no shouting, no dancing, hand-raising, strange tongues, nothing like that. Just simple, I believe. And in that moment, he was saved. He was set free. He was healed physically, but now he's being healed spiritually. And the Bible says the next thing he did was he worshiped him. By the way, those of you who are sitting in one of our campuses today and, and watching online, there's something in you that wanted to be here and worship. And maybe you don't have it all dialed in, and that's fine. Sometimes I don't either, but there's something in you that says, God, I need to be in a church. I want to worship you. That's a great sign in your faith. Something's alive in you. I would say it's God's spirit for most of you. Okay, they worshiped him, he prayed, they sang, bowed before him. Meeting Jesus gave him boldness, gave him belief. Finally, meeting Jesus finally gave him a sense of belonging. I think this was his greatest need. I think, by the way, it's your greatest need, my greatest need. I can tell you personally that when I when I know that I belong to God and belong to others who love me, I can handle just about any challenge in life. The Bible says perfect love, isn't this true? Perfect love drives out fear that when you know that you're loved, when you have somebody who's with you and won't leave you, they'll love you in spite of your weaknesses and flaws, they're gonna be with you. It, it dissipates the fear, doesn't it? through all the stuff that we all go through in life, all the attacks and all the nonsense, if we're loved, 
we can handle it. This guy was blind, so people avoided him. You know, all his life he was led to believe his blindness was his fault, so he was blamed, he was discarded, he was pushed aside. He sat alone at lunch tables. You know, never got chosen in gym class, never had a date. But now, for the first time in his life, someone valued him, someone touched him, they cared for him, Jesus, and it healed him, not just physically, but in the deepest places of his soul. And God wants to do that for every person here. He wants to heal us in the deepest places of our being. In his book, The Way of the Wild Heart, by the way, if you're a dad here and you have a son, this is a great book, you need to read it. The Way of the Wild Heart, John Eldridge wrote about his own struggle with feelings of belonging because his dad had abandoned him early in life and abandoned the family. Eldridge writes these words, he says, I was left like many kids these days, feeling incomplete, feeling lost, wounded in my spirit, wondering if I would ever become a man. I want to close today with this little story that illustrates, I believe, what happens when people meet Jesus and they begin to feel like they belong. Eldridge writes, he says, I've always wanted to become a fly fisherman, so we moved to Colorado. I heard a section on the South Platte River called the Miracle Mile, a beautiful stretch of river that flows through open prairie. He says, I spent all morning in the stream, and I could see trout all around me, but I was unable to catch even one. But he says, every time I looked upstream, there was this guy, and his rod was bent over, and he was whooping and hollering, and he brought in another trout, trout after trout he was catching, and at first I envied him. Then I began to hate him. Finally, I chose humility and watched to see if I could learn from him. I stood at a distance and then sat down to watch. He was aware of me. And then after casting and hooking yet another fish, he turned and said, come on down. He told me he was a fly fishing guide and on his days off, this is where he liked to be. He asked how I was doing and I said, not good. He said, well, let me see your rig. And I handed him my rod. And he said, oh, well, first of all, your leader's not long enough. And before I could apologize for being a fishing idiot, he took a pair of clippers and clipped off my leader and tied on a new one with such speed and such grace, I was absolutely speechless. He said, what flies you using? I said these, already knowing they were the wrong ones. But graciously, he made no comment about my flies, only said, well, this time of year, you need to use these kind. And he tied one on my line and showed me then how to cast. He said, come on over here, right next to me. And after 10 minutes of standing there, talking to me and coaching me, he stepped out of the water to watch me just like a father who watches his son and coaches his son. I hooked a trout miraculously, and I landed it, and it was amazing. He said, have fun, 
And without looking back, he went downstream to the spot where I was and began catching one fish after another. <laughs> he said, I caught fish too. And while that made me happy, there was a deep satisfaction in my soul as I stood in the river. Some deep need had been touched inside me. The need to be invited in, to be fathered and cared for, and to belong. As I drove home that evening, I knew that God had used this man to be a father to me to care for me and to let me know I matter. And I just wonder today if that's what some of us need, to be fathered, to be touched by the Heavenly Father who loves you and knows your name, knows everything about what's going on in your life knows about the worries you have about tomorrow, the stresses that are in your family, perhaps, or in your relationship. He knows everything. He sees it. He cries over it with you. I just wonder if some of us need to have Jesus heal us today. Here's what I think whether this is your first time hearing words like this or whether it's your thousandth time, I believe Jesus Christ wants to meet you in this moment, right now. And meet me as well. To love you, to touch you, to heal you, to do a miracle for you so that you'll no longer just be fishing, but you'll be fishing and living every day, knowing that there's a God who loves you and will still do a miracle in your life. And so as we close today, I just, I wanna be bold in my prayer. I wanna pray for healing for every person who's hearing these words. I just came through a, a difficult season in my own life, and I'm not going to talk about it publicly, but I was wounded, and I needed healing. And I can tell you, it took some time. But Jesus healed me, and he'll do that. And so I just want to bow and pray. Stay seated at our campuses online. You join us as well, but let's just pray for God's healing for every person here. Okay, God, thank you for your promise. Thank you for your power. As you walk along, you see every one of us. And every one of us has something in our lives that need to be healed. And I just want to ask you, as our heads are bowed and in this quiet moment, would you think about that thing or person or hurt loss would you just name it quietly before Jesus and say Jesus would you heal this Jesus heal this hurt this conflict I'm having 
take away this awful anxiety that just floods my life. Touch me, Jesus, in the deepest part of my soul right now. And then is there an action you need to take? Sometimes it's not overnight the healing comes. It comes through a process of obeying and praying and paying attention to those pain points and lifting them to God each time. So God, do your work. Begin the process of healing in all of our lives, we pray. And we will give you the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name great to be with all of you. Have a great weekend, everybody.